Lord, we love you and we just pray that, God, we just bring our hearts before you right now and, and we just pray that, Lord, you would speak deeply to each person, to each one of us, God. We're one family, Lord, but I just invite you, Holy Spirit, to have conversations with every one of us individually. We just want to hear what you're saying. And Lord, it may mean different things for different ones of us, but Lord, the most important thing is that we hear you speaking to us today. So we just welcome you, Holy Spirit. We just invite you to come. Just ask you to speak in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. I wanted to look a little bit together today at the, at the life of, of David and talk about having a, a heart that's after God. Uh, 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, and Acts chapter 13, verse 22, God says of David that he is, quote, a man after my own heart. What does it mean to be a man or a woman that's after the heart of God? What does that look like? Now, recently I felt God take me back to First uh, and Second Samuel, and I've been reading those, and I came to that well-known story again of, a moment in David's life where you perhaps naturally ask yourself, how after all David did, could God still say his heart's after mine? And many of you will know the story, but in case you don't, um, having been walking with God and going great guns and following and listening to God, David, we're told in Second Samuel chapter 11, you can read it in your own time, decides to take a season off when it was a season when kings were meant to go to war, were meant to go to battle. And so he disconnects at this point in time from the will and the purpose and plan of God for his life and says, Do you know what, I'm just going to take a season out. I know that's where God wants me to be, but I'm going to hang around and stop at home. And he's kind of bored and boredom can be dangerous. And uh, as he's bored, he, he goes up for a walk on his rooftop and he's up on his rooftop terrace and he looks down and sees what we're told is a beautiful young lady who's taking a bath and he thinks, oh, hello. And uh, he sends for her and brings her to him and her name's Bathsheba and he inquires of her and he finds out that she's a married lady, married to someone called Uriah the Hittite. But he thinks, oh, well, I really want her. And so he sleeps with her and then this unplanned, unforeseen pregnancy happens and David's in a really tight spot and so he begins to think, is there a way out of this? And so Uriah the Hittite is out. He's fighting in the battle. He's out at war. And so David calls for him back under the guise of, I want a report. And he's kind of scheming and he inquires of him. And his hope is that in this season of bringing him home, he'll think to himself, I'll go down to my home. I'll visit my wife. I'll eat well and uh, sleep well. And uh, will you know, lay together. And so he's really banking on the fact that he's going to go home and, and uh, him and his wife are going to kind of have that intimate time together and she's therefore going to look like she's fallen pregnant uh, in wedlock. If, and uh, so it's all okay. It's all kosher and David's off the hook. And he brings Uriah back and he says, hey, you know, go on, go down, go see your wife. But Uriah's more righteous at this point in time than David's acting. And so Uriah sleeps in the king's doorway sleeps at the doorway because that's where the servant slept because he says, how can I go down and have a good time and eat well and, and uh, enjoy the home comforts and sleep with my wife when my men, my brothers, are out in the field at war. They're sleeping under out in, sorry, in the open fields and they're fighting. They're in a war. I can't do this. I can't 
be that kind of guy who just pleases himself when something else is going on. So he acts really righteously. So David thinks, right, well, up the ante. So he gets him drunk the next day. And he thinks if he's drunk, then it's nailed on. He's going to go home. He's going to do all those things. And I'm going to get out of this. And Uriah doesn't go. So now David's in a tight spot. And then we see this horrendous scenario when he writes a letter to Joab, the king's commander of the army at this point in time, and places a letter in the hands of Uriah the Hittite. And Uriah does not know that he is carrying his own death sentence. And in this letter he writes, I want you, when Uriah returns to the field, to put him where the fighting is the fiercest. Put him on the front line. And when he's there against the valiant men, we're told, then I want you to draw back from him so he's struck and he dies. And Uriah carries this letter not knowing he was carrying his own death sentence. Hands it to Joab. Joab reads it, obeys what the king says. They, Joab, we're told Joab puts him where he knows there's a band of valiant men, withdraws from him, and he's struck and he dies. A man after God's heart. If anyone's ever read that story, I can imagine that you wonder the same thing as me. How after all that, is the heart of David still seen as a heart after God? And I think the answer to that question is because of two things. His humility and his ability to repent. Heard some great teaching on this just recently, so I'm not taking credit for this bit. I heard some great, I shouldn't take credit for any bits, but... You know what I'm saying. There's some great teaching recently from a guy called Michael Kulianos about the difference between King Saul and King David. How when Samuel confronted King Saul, King David's predecessor, with Saul's sin, Saul does all he can to hold on to the throne. He's hunting David down. He wants to retain position, status in the eyes of the people. So he's hunting David all over the country because he knows he's going to succeed him in the attempt to want to kill him. Saul fights to hold on to the throne. But when Nathan comes to David off the back of the story I've just told you and confronts the king with his sin, with the word of the Lord and rebukes him, and David is confronted with his own sin, his reaction, his response is entirely the opposite of Saul's. David didn't say, don't take the throne from me. Psalm 51 verse 11, he says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. More than position or power or status or appearance in the eyes of the people, the one thing David didn't want to lose was the Holy Spirit. His relationship with God. When David sinned, we see a man whose the response of his heart is humility and repentance. I'd like you just to close your eyes this moment as I just read a prayer that David prayed. You'll know it, but I want you just to close your eyes so you can just listen and just take it in. Jonathan, if you can bring it up on the screen for me. I'm going to read it from up there. This is hot off the back of having been confronted with his own sin by Nathan, having done all that I told you about earlier. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. 
Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my Savior and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. That's an amazing prayer. You begin to see the humility and the repentance just kind of in every line of that prayer as you read it. See, what I see from the life of David is that actually being a man or a woman after God's heart is not unattainable for any of us. It's not above us or beyond us because it's not about perfection. It's not about never messing up. I'm not belittling what David did, by the way. It's not about that. It's not about perfection. It's not about messing up. I want to suggest to us, being a man or a woman after God's heart, is that whenever we do, and we all do, we direct our heart back towards God. I want us thinking today about if our heart is pointing to and for God. David knew that whenever sin confronts you, it's humility and repentance that direct our heart back towards him. And that the affection and the direction of our heart is everything. And so David was a man who, as you journey through his life, you see continually monitored the condition of his heart. Psalm 139, let me give you a few examples. Verse 23 to 24 says this. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The New Living Translation says, point out anything in me that offends you. I prepared all that sermon, I, this sermon for today. I sat in the pre-service prayer meeting there with some of the guys just praying together, some of the team we were just praying together for today. And you know, it just hit me that humility is asking God to shine His spotlight into your own heart. What I mean by that is the language is search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. 
and lead me in the way of the everlasting. Humility is bringing his own heart before God and putting it under God's spotlight. And I thought to myself, I love how David's heart is. This is about what's going on in my life. You know, the Bible talks about, and this is not in my notes, but just coming to me again this morning, you know, the Bible talks about how we are so good at seeing specks in others' eyes, but missing logs in our own. But actually, humility is not sitting in church thinking about what's going on in this person's life or what's going on in this person's life and what have they done or I've seen they've been up to on Facebook or that word I heard them use or that joke I heard them tell or that program I heard they watched. Humility is saying, God, what's going on in me? Right here, God. What's going on in my heart? And I love that about David. He cries out in Psalm 51, verse 10, Create in me a pure heart, O God. 1 Chronicles 29, verse 17, he says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. The New Living Translation says, I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and rejoice when you find integrity there. That word integrity, when we see it appear at times in the Old Testament, an interesting word because it means not infractions. God, you love it when you look at my heart and you don't see that I'm living out life in compartments. I'll come back to that in a moment and explain what I mean by that. But when there's a wholeness for you. But there's one prayer in particular that David prayed that I want to hang around today. And it's Psalm 86, verse 11 to 12. This has been on my heart for many weeks. I wonder if you'd pray, uh, if you'd say it out with me today. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. The next verse goes on. I've sadly just realized I've missed it on the PowerPoint. I will praise you, Lord, my God, with all my heart. And I will glorify your name forever. Teach me your way, Lord. You know, in recent weeks, I've been talking a lot about feeling in 2023 that, that there's something in this whole thing about just coming with a new teachableness, if that's even a word. <laughs> but bringing ourselves in a new teachable way before God is an expression of humility. I've talked about sitting at his feet. I've talked about coming before him and just inviting him to teach me. To learn, to grow. That's what the academy is about. That's what the heart of that is about. Here is a man with a nation that is looking to him, but here is a king that is looking to God. And David's prayer in this word teach is really interesting because actually it's a humble recognition that there are times when he loses direction. This word teach is the word yara, and it means to point out as if by aiming by the finger. It was actually an archer's term it meant to point and shoot arrows in the right direction. It meant to aim at the right target. David recognizes there are times in his life with God when things get a little bit all over the place. When things get scattered in his focus and in his attention. Times and seasons when he'd aim at wrong things and go after other stuff. We've touched on one already. Other stuff would become the focus instead of God. And David is coming in humility before God and saying, help me God to point my life in the right direction. Help me God, teach me God how to aim my life at you and for you. 
Teach me how to make you the target, for want of a better expression. Verse 11, he says, that I may rely on your faithfulness. And this raw, kind of honest, humble recognition begins to build into a part of his prayer which you just read with me this morning. Give me an undivided heart. This is when we come back to this integrity thing and this fraction thing. That phrase, undivided heart, it's really interesting because if you look at all or any number of different translations in the Bible, if you look at any number of different translations in the Bible, you'll see quite a variation of how that's been translated. My understanding is, because actually that prayer is so packed full of meaning, people are kind of almost struggling how to kind of get it all in to express what it means. And so people are kind of coming at it from different angles and highlighting different bits. So I want to just kind of show you that today, just some of the kind of examples of that. So if we can go on to the next screen, please, Jonathan, that would be great. The, the different three versions at the top there talk about, rather than give me an undivided, they say, unite my heart to fear your name. There's a star in the New King James Version which takes you down into the notes and offers an alternative translation as give me singleness of heart. CB says, make my heart focused only on honor in your name. The new living, grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you. The amplified, direct my heart to fear your name with awe-inspired reverence and submissive wonder. The ERV paraphrase, help me make worship in your name the most important thing in my life. David prays for direction. Teach me how to let, get my life flowing, aimed in the right direction, aiming at you, living for you. Help me because there are times when I'm living for other stuff. There are times when my focus is scattered and my attention is diverted. Now he prays this prayer, give me undivided devotion. That word undivided is, uh, as I've already touched on today, it means to be not divided into parts or groups, but to be concentrated on one object. David's humbly saying, There's a, I recognize in my life that there, is some, there are times when I live my life in compartments. There are times when kind of like it's for you, but it's for this and it's for this. And you're not the one great consuming focus of my life. You're not the one object above all other things that I'm living for. But there's, it's God kind of in the mix with other stuff. And my life gets divided into parts or or groups, my life gets lived out in compartments. And so maybe if we're being honest, we, we kind of know when life begins to get a little bit compartmentalized because maybe who we are in here versus who we are outside of the doors is, is quite different. The two things don't necessarily line up in the, in the same way. I, I'm living my life in part or in groups when I'm acting differently, the, uh, adjusting to the environment I'm in or to fit in when I'm speaking differently with the language I'm using, with the company I'm keeping, with the jokes I'm telling, with the things I'm watching. They begin to testify to a kind of compartmentalized life when the priorities are somewhat out of balance and I'm focusing on this and getting up to do that rather than spending time with you and listen if you think, oh, my life, he's spotting specks and missing logs. I want to tell you, there's a massive log in my own eye in this, in this whole area of my life because I really love the fact that David's in the Bible because I so identify with his struggles. So identify with his struggles. And his struggles where there are times when it's like, God, you've got a piece of me. There are times when 
my attention has been diverted. There are times when my heart and my affection and devotion has become divided. This is what King David, I mean, the humility of King David. There are times when my life is scattered in a thousand different directions. There are times he's saying, God, I know there are times in my life when my heart needs uniting. I need a kind of uniting touch from God again that brings things back together that I may live for you. That you may become that one thing in my life above all other things. And he begins to long, God, I need something in my life where my heart is kind of pulled back to that one devotion. Where my heart is kind of pulled back to that singular kind of love for you above all other things. The message actually puts this verse in uh, Psalm 86 as this. I've got it on the next screen. Put me together. God, put me together, God, one heart and mind, then undivided, I'll worship in joyful fear. I really like that. God, I don't want to live my life in boxes, in compartments, and for all these things. Put me together again. Bring me back to you. And I so identify with his struggles. There are times in my own relationship with God when I know my attention's been diverted and my heart's been divided. When my heart and my devotion gets fragmented and pulled in different directions. When my heart is mixed with other feelings and intentions, agendas and motivations. Times when I love other stuff too much. Like David, I recognize there are times when my heart can be all over the place. Is there anyone else in the room today who knows that too? Maybe like David, you recognize I need the Lord to unite my heart again. I need the Lord to pull it back together again so I can, in verse 12, we're told, so I can truly worship Him. So I can bring Him the worship that He's really worthy of. And the encouraging thing is, you're not alone in that struggle, and nor am I. Because it runs all through the pages of the Bible. Psalm 95, verse 10, God says of His people, They are people whose hearts go astray. Jeremiah 24 verse 7, God talking about His people needing to return to Him with all their hearts. Matthew 15, 8, Jesus speaking of people who honor Him with their mouths and their lips, but quote, their hearts are far from Him. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 35, the Apostle Paul appeals to the church, live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. James 4 verse 8 in the New Living Translations, James urges believers, purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. And so David and Israel and Christians all down the years, including right now in this present age and sitting in this chair, have had the same struggles that we all do. There are times when our affections are inclined to roam. But David recognized that. David recognized that tendency and continually sought to redirect his heart towards God. Towards a pursuit of God and towards devotion for God. And it was because of that humility and because of that ability to repent, God never stopped calling him a man after his own heart. More than anything, 
God wants your heart. More than anything. Matthew 22, verse 36 to 37. Teacher, they said, speaking to Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, would you read this with me? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. I know it's a different kind of preach today. Not got any jokes or big illustrations, but I really feel this on my heart today. You know, I was thinking in any relationship, knowing you have the other person's heart matters more than anything. So when I stood at the altar waiting for my bride, Claire, what mattered most to me was that she was all in. 100% for me. Who can blame her? That, I would know she had stopped looking elsewhere. The search was over. And that she had chosen me. And so we took our vows. And forsaking all others... Be faithful to him or her as long as you both shall live. I do. We exchanged our rings. I give you this ring as a symbol of my love. With all that I am and all that I have, I honor you. Now imagine if in that moment, Claire turned to me and said, I can't actually take those vows because I want to Be free to share my love around. Daryl, I'd like to kind of keep my options open. Can we do this under different terms, whereby you just have a bit of me? How many people think I'd have said, sure, no problem? No way. I'd have never have married her because more than anything, having her heart is what matters most to me. Well, friends, Jesus is the bridegroom. And he's coming back for his bride. And that's us. That's the church. That's his people. He doesn't want a bride that's looking elsewhere. He doesn't want a bride who wants to live like they're keeping all their options open. He doesn't want a bride, dare I say this carefully, who when he returns is ashamed that they've been sleeping around. He longs for a bride who are all in whose heart are for him. That doesn't mean we're perfect or we never mess up. We do. And we've seen that David did. It's living out what I think you learn when you've been married for any number of years is that relationship isn't about saying, or marriage isn't about saying, I do once. It's about saying it every day. We say I do in how we speak. We say I do in what we do and in what we don't do. We say I do in how we say sorry. I do is lived out in a continual choice. I choose you. Now there are stressful days in our home. There are 
Days when we have arguments and you think, why are we even arguing about this? There are days when it's not all wonderful. There are days when Claire will tell you it has been hard work. But friends, I want to suggest to us, it's only when we stop saying, I do, that things begin to fall apart. You see, more than anything, God wants our heart. But the truth is, actually, when we talk about giving God our heart, it's a phrase that we use in the realm of sal- in terms of coming to Christ and salvation. I understand why. When did you give the Lord your heart? Oh, in 2000 and whatever. It's the day I gave the Lord my heart. Yes. That's the first time you gave the Lord your heart in the area of salvation. But I want to, underst- I want to suggest to you that giving the Lord your heart never stops on the day you come to Christ. It's a decision every day of saying, I do. I might be saved, but I still have to choose to walk with him. I still have to walk in his ways. John 14, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. Saying I do to him is in how I speak, in what I do and what I don't do, in how I say I'm sorry. But as we look at the life of David today, you know, we see even with the best of them, our hearts can wander from God. But I believe that it's actually humility and repentance that chooses him every day. Repentance is not something we just do when we get saved. It's how we continually direct our heart towards God. It's how I say I do. It's how I keep bringing my heart back to him. And I keep my heart for him. Nearly done. Psalm 86 verse 11 I touched on earlier says, Give me singleness of heart. An undivided heart is a single-minded heart. The message I read, Put me together one heart and mind, then undivided I'll worship in joyful fear. I just have this sense that God wants to bring us back to one aim, to one person, to one great devotion, to one main focus. Jesus. Back to one purpose. To please Him and live for Him. And worship Him and bring Him glory. And I want to encourage us today to bring all our adoration to Jesus again. To fix our attention back on Jesus again. And if you've not been living with God or for God like you should have been, if you know you've wandered, redirect your heart to him again. Eugene Peterson said, repentance is not an emotion. It's not about me getting you crying in your seats. It is not feeling sorry for your sins. It is a decision. And in humility and repentance, I bring him my heart again. Andy and the band, I wonder if you could come back, please. And as I bring him my heart in humility and repentance, beautiful things begin to happen. Matthew 5 verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That Greek word there is the word katharos, and in secular Greek it was used for the removal of impurities from metal. Metal that would be refined until impurities were removed. What does it mean pure in heart? It means when my heart's unmixed, 
When it's not just Jesus in the mix with lots of other stuff as the main thing. It's undivided, it's clean, it's unsoiled and unpolluted. And in humble repentance, impurities are removed. When I get my heart right with God and I begin to direct my devotion to Him again, encounters happen. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. My expectation is as I come before Him, like this, I encounter Him. I see Him. Psalm 24, verse 3 to 4 says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. The one who redirects their heart to Him and says, My heart is for you. Then I get to stand and be in His presence and meet with Him and encounter Him. I don't know if you've been watching the revival or heard anything much of it of what's broken out in the States at Asbury in the bunch, amongst a bunch of students. It's a faceless and nameless revival. There's no high-profile Christian lead in it or anything like that. But one man preached on getting right with God and a whole bunch of students came back to the chapel that evening and just began to get right with God. And one young man apparently stood up and publicly confessed his sins and the Holy Spirit broke out. And it's just been going for weeks, day and night. I've seen footage of queues around the block of people getting in, people on their knees outside of the building repenting. I saw a video of one man driving in and he said even as he began to come onto the campus and come into the presence of God and he could see people queuing and on their knees outside of the building just getting right with God, he said immediately he began to feel in his heart, God, how do I need to get right with you? What do I need to get right with you? John Ortberg said, Repenting does not increase God's desire to be with us, but it increases our capacity to be with Him. There's a blessedness and a happiness in getting your heart right and aligned and directed towards Him again. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Jeremiah 29 verse 13 says, You will seek Me and you will find Me when you seek Me with all your heart. I know sometimes I find myself looking at the Lord and thinking about other stuff. And I find myself living with dual and divided attention and focus and adoration. But it's Eric Gilmore who says, Holy Spirit fire only falls on us on a whole sacrifice. The touch of God doesn't come upon partial adoration and attentiveness, but when our hearts are holy for Him, undivided, then we begin to give Jesus authentic adoration and the Holy Spirit falls. So I'd love, as we close today, for us to pray the prayer of Psalm 139. Not looking at the person on the left or on the right. Not because I want to dig around in your lives because I'm not interested in that. I've got enough going on in my own. But I want us to open up our hearts and invite God to come. If you know your attention has been diverted and or your heart has been divided, I want to invite you to come and get right with God. Like David did, come in humility. Like David did, come in repentance and simply begin to redirect your heart towards Him again. And you will always find He's waiting for you. Psalm 139, verse 23 to 24. 
I'm going to invite us just to say this prayer together. Just allow the Holy Spirit to work. It's over to Him. He can do as He pleases and He'll be saying different things to different people. And wondered if you'd pray this prayer with me and then just in Zandi's quietly playing we'll just sit for a moment before God search me oh God and know my heart test me and my know my anxious thoughts see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting There's no, uh, there's no prayer ministry right now where I'm going to ask any of us to pray for anyone. But I believe that Jesus is waiting at the altar. And if in this moment you just know God's put his finger on something, I just want to encourage you just do business with him and get right with him. And so as we sing this song, in these last few minutes, Come kneel down the front. Come stand down the front. Just make that move before God and just, God, yes. Unite my heart again. Pull things back together. My attention has been diverted. My devotion has been divided. Just come meet with God. Just begin to come. If you want to, I'm not chasing a number. It's between each one of us and God and I don't know what's going on in everyone's heart and life there's an opportunity I believe to meet with him this morning for those who know they want and need to Amen thanks Andy